Hello, world. What's up with y'all? Y'all good? Good. Glad we went through that. It's Ergo Radio, Thursday at noon, WHPK 88.5. I'm Damon. I'm Kiss. How are you all doing? We're so excited to be back up here on WHPK. I uh, I might be concussed. <laughs> I am um, just prefacing the episode with that. When we were walking into the studio, there's like a really, like, I, I've never noticed it before, but there's an on-air sign that turns on <laughs> when you turn the mics on. And uh, I decided to turn directly into it. It hit me right in my temple. So if I start rambling or if I faint at some point. It's like um, every other show. So we just go keep on. <laughs> if you don't know what we do, we showcase strong young voices from Chicago and beyond. Artists, writers, organizers, poets, musicians, uh, folks reshaping the culture of the city and the country for the more equitable and the more creative. We have a very special guest on the show. I'm so excited to have him here. Yeah, this week we get the Chicago and the beyond all in one pack. <laughs> <laughs> hey. But first, first, a couple announcements. You got uh, anything to tell us? Uh, Lamar's getting married. That's cool. Yeah, Lamar's getting married. <laughs> Shout out Just true. Love. If you know Lamar, Lamar's getting married tomorrow. And listeners, you're not invited. I'm yeah. sorry. Uh, what else? I got I a couple know. I got a couple yeah, things for my white people out there. Um, <laughs> the sur- there's a Surge October meeting tonight sure. that's standing against uh, standing up what is showing up for racial justice? Yes, that's what it is. That's what it is. Um, and it's a good group of folks. We do a lot of work with them. I've been yeah. Anyway, come through. White uh, people. <laughs> that's <laughs> today, Thursday <laughs> at Seven Eleven West Monroe at six thirty. Um, come through to that. They do a wow. lot of really good work. Nah, um, for obviously much love to serve. They're, 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 they're the stuff. And on <laughs> vaguely the other end of the spectrum, Party Noir is tonight at the Promontory. Oh, um, sure. Come through. Party Noir is tonight. That. Yeah, yeah. They're doing a special Thursday night one. Usually it's a day party, but come through for that. Love to them. Um, and that's uh, that's all I got. Anything yeah, you want to throw in I, there? I don't check my phone, so I don't know what's going on. So <laughs> much love to y'all. Good luck with, with, with all your endeavors, <laughs> friends, and, and love. Hope friends. you have a good weekend. It's, yeah. it's your announcement. But yeah, we we are here uh, with somebody that's like, it's exciting because we got our chops up a little bit more. But it's surprising that it took us this long to get him here, except for the fact that he lives somewhere else now. The long time homie, in my opinion. Opinion. I don't know. He's objectively my homie. Yeah, objectively, <laughs> he is the homie. Jose Oliveras is in town hey, at hey, Ergo hey, Radio. Hey. How you feeling today? How's the world treating you? You treating it? I'm feeling really good. I'm here for that aforementioned wedding that you all are not invited to. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but uh, we're going to have you back on next week to give a report on how it was. Yes. But you're I'm not sure just like great. here to attend the wedding. You're like, a, integral part like it can't happen without you almost. right right I'm, I'm i just found this out last night actually i'm reading a poem during the ceremony uh which i knew i was i like wrote a poem and they told me to write a poem but they didn't tell me that i would be reading like at the altar you know what wow. i'm saying wow. so i i mean i was i was telling y'all before this but like I was expecting to read after having consumed a couple right, right. adult the, beverages the you know what i'm saying yeah yeah, I feel like it's a different thing. Some 90s R&B gets played. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's like, that's my spot. That's like what I need to like really 
hit hit them with the palm. You know what I mean? <laughs> your, your best audience is two thirds of the way through a wedding. Yes, like- yes. No, like completely through a wedding. Like done with the, <laughs> yeah, wedding, the wedding, and over. now we're like at the same. Like we're now we're celebrating. You the know tuxedo, what I mean? like the bow ties have been loosened. Yes. Everyone's like relaxed. Yes. Yeah. Also, this is gonna be the first time I ever wear suspenders. Ever. Wow. Ever. I've never have worn I suspenders. Ever, I don't think I've ever worn suspenders. I don't think I've ever worn suspenders either. Wow. Now now I feel better about that situation. Yeah. <laughs> We're here with you. We so, should do like a survey. Like, <laughs> <laughs> listeners, when did you first wear suspenders? Listeners call in 1-800-223-9797. Have <laughs> <laughs> you worn suspenders? Yes or no? Yeah. Don't call Hot 97, which is the number I just <laughs> <laughs> No, please do. Please call Hot 97. Like, yo, I got to talk to Ebro right about <laughs> suspenders. Like, what would they say? I'm e- excited. Ebro's like, I don't know what you're talking about, fam. <laughs> anyway, in addition to being a wedding guest and wedding poet, you read poems in other contexts and you write them and you do all kinds of amazing That's stuff. Um, so I'm just first off really excited to have you here. In addition to all of the poem stuff, uh, and as part of that, you're also a fellow podcaster. I am. That's true. Look at that. Yeah, yeah. Podcast I, gang. I didn't even know until That's you true. just got here today. Yeah, I am oblivious to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a. I'm like What's, a. I'm an unabashed fan of the Poetry Gods. Um, thank you. Which you are the co-host of. You want to just like we'll we'll get the the podcast promo plug in early. Like, what is it that y'all do, and how can people hear it? Yeah, for sure. So The Poetry Gods is a podcast that I started with John Sands and Aziza Barnes. We started it because we were listening to The Champs, which is another podcast that Damon doesn't listen to. <laughs> He's told me about it. I am aware. <laughs> uh, the Champs is, is a comedy podcast. Uh, they interview comedians and they ask them about everything. So not just about comedy and the ends and like the craft of comedy, but also about like their life stories and how they came to be comedians. And so when we sat back and we were thinking about all the interviews that we saw of our homies who are incredible poets and who we've we've had the best and funniest conversations with like at the bar post reading, uh, we wanted to do a show that was not just about like alliteration and not just about the craft of writing, but that got into like, who these people are and that that created a community. And so if nothing else, like I said this when we finished our, our first season, if nothing else, like I wanted an archive of those conversations for myself, like if nobody mm. else listened <laughs> to them. Um, and since then, like a lot of people have been tuning in. It's kind of cool. I get heckled at poetry shows now, which didn't happen before. <laughs> what's the what's the like typical heckle? <laughs> um, so there's two things, right? So first of all, now, because of the podcast, every time I perform, I introduce myself as Jose Guadalupe Olivares, a.k.a. Cola Champagne Poppy, a.k.a. <laughs> Papi Chudo, a.k.a. <laughs> Papi Two Times, Two Times, which are my nicknames on the show, you know what I mean? And then the other thing I get heckled about is Nas. There's always somebody, always somebody wants to talk to me about Nas because mm-hmm. uh, on air I said that I did not believe and I stick with this opinion I don't believe Nas belongs in the pantheon of the greatest rappers I love that you first of all have not backed down on this you have you've elaborated on other episodes and I look forward for using this forum as a space for that as well <laughs> but you you're sticking by that despite the fact that it's an unpopular opinion yes uh, it's why I played it's my fa- this is like I, t- I ruined the surprise but it's like my favorite thing I played the intro music which is uh, J. Cole's Let Nas Down, and you're not a huge J. Cole fan yeah, no. either. Um, we're yeah. getting into the, the hating very early. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I like this. I like this because <laughs> I, <laughs> I have a fan of it all, all, all together, negativity. Nah, but, but for real, <laughs> I, I feel you. I, 
I'm 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 lost on the Nas thing because like out of almost like necessity, I was like around 17, like, let me do my Nas homework. Yeah. So there's like all this yeah. and like there's obviously like the gems there. Right. Uh so I, I would just like out of like duty put them in the pantheon. Yeah. You know? But see uh, I, But I get what you're saying though. I, I want I want to hear you elaborate more. Cause there are some times where I'm underwhelmed, right? I think he has a lot of stuff. He's prolific. Yeah. And like only 10% of it is like that's that's what I'm saying. Excellent. So so what I'm what He's I'm like saying, Brett of Brett. <laughs> oh God, another person I don't like. Uh, what I'm saying is, from the time I was like 15 years old, I have bought every single Nas release <laughs> on its release date and looked forward to it. Wow. Only to like years later look back at like this CD case and be like, why did I, I buy this? <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Not only have I stopped listening to those songs, but like. I'm like, why? What it pushed me? And it's like the mythology of Nas, you know, like Nas, Nas's place in the pantheon is taken for granted. And, I, and my thing is, you know, I just the more and more I thought about it, I was like, really, only Illmatic belongs in the pantheon. Like Nas actually has not done. A, and then, and then individual classic songs. There are classic songs. The yeah, one made mics, you look. The made you right? See, I don't. One mic is good. One, I don't, one mic is one of the best songs. One mic is great. Yeah, made you look is great. You know what I mean? Yeah. But not a lot of other songs by Nas move me. So I'm just like, look, let's let's be honest about who Nas actually is. I also think that it has to do with like Nas is like a classic New York rapper. Right. It's the aesthetic. It's- yeah. And I, I just I don't think that New York should be privileged in the conversation of hip hop anymore. You know what I mean? Well, it's been great having you on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm man, you a holding down. We got a Chicago out in New York oh. talking that shit. We got a New Yorker here, just like it's yeah. true. I mean, I want to stay on this, but I do think like it's, you know, we got to know, we've gotten to know each other over the last couple of years on a combination of like gigs we've gone on together That's and true. just being back and forth. And we kind of like unknowingly swapped places. Like you came to New York right around the same time that I came to Chicago yeah. and you live in the Bronx and I'm from the Bronx and I live here. So it's been kind of fun. I think it's kind of like this nice thing we got going on. And we both podcast. You're like yeah. Bizarro World Me and I'm Bizarro World You. Yes, in a way. Yeah, in, that's in a way, very except strange. I like Nas more than you. Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe part of the Bizarro World thing. <laughs> but to that, you know. Be, We're going to let J. Cole be? Well, we all know. Listen, how you, J. Cole I, can not, get these bars too. Oh, you know what I'm saying? So here's it's we, cool. We can let him be. I just want to make sure we're intentional about. Can about I say Can I say the Cole. thing about the Freedom Square thing? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, this was so funny. So... In the midst, showed up. In, so in the midst of all the Freedom Square stuff, I don't, rumor. I don't even oh, remember okay. how he found out about it. But I think he was talking to, uh, like, he invited BLM, Black Lives Matter people, to uh-huh. Lala and, like, like bring a cohort of movement folks. And, like, uh-huh. Freedom Square was, like, in the height of happening. So they were like, yo, somebody should come. And we, like, had the conversation of, like, who's going to go meet J. Cole? So, so <laughs> shout out to Jason. Jason Ware went and he talked with him about it and, like, got his info and they were like talking about it and Jacob was like yeah maybe I'll come after my show so it's like two in the morning and you know we were always up in the middle of the night then mm-hmm. there was always someone awake and we were like so if J. Cole comes here at two in the morning to Freedom Square and I turn to Damon and I go are you going in this space of holding each other accountable are you going well, to turn to him and say do better yeah <laughs> As <a> rapper, <laughs> do better. like and I rock with like I respect it like it's not mm-hmm. like bad you know mm-hmm. like there's so much bad shit out there. Like it, on mm. the spectrum, it's actually good, mm. but just do better. Man. That's that's all I really. <laughs> I what do you mean it. by do better? Are you are you speaking politically or are you talking about like the raps? The raps, the raps. Yeah. I think he'll yeah. rap something very mediocre as if it was something legendary. Yeah, and then come back the next bar and say, "Did you see how legendary that that yeah. mediocre bar yeah, yeah. was?" No, no, I and agree. Just like you could use that time just rapping because you showed 
that you have the ability to rap. Yeah, this this is my unpopular opinion that I'm catch I'm up. Give y'all couldn't resist. Like, yes, you could resist. You absolutely <laughs> could have resisted. Every other album. rapper resisted doing that punchline. Yes, uh, I believe so. So. Part of the reason why I like to single out J. Cole is because my teenagers at Urban Word NYC love J. Cole. <laughs> they like, you know, write his lyrics everywhere. They play his music at all our events. They love J. Cole. And I feel like J. Cole is this generation's Talib Kweli. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> by wow. which by which I mean that like when I was 17 years old, Talib Kweli was very important to me because it felt like here was an example of an artist who was also very politically engaged, right. who was saying yeah. things of substance and yeah. was like craft wise pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, and now Some years, underdog feel to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, underdog <laughs> feel to it. Yeah. And uh now years later, like Talib's bars just have not held up. You know what I mean? And now I can recognize that, you know. Yeah, yeah. I just feel like, I feel like in the long scheme, like I just don't think J. Cole is actually that good a rapper. I don't think his music is that good. We've had some like very emotional conversations on the show. What you just said, like, hit me so emo- like his because <laughs> I was a big fan and like of Talib. Oh, yeah, God, yeah, yeah. that like yeah. that, that like devastated me. I had the realization like two and a half years ago. My sister said that to me. Like, she was a huge. They were like in the same you know yeah, friend yeah. group, and it was like, oh man. But nah, I don't. It, uh, it's goodbye uh, and pretty much like two or three other songs, uh, and then get goodbye. Yeah, yeah, get goodbye. Exactly. We've never done this on the show before, but I think we should. Uh, you want to do a quick top five? Just because I think, like, I love Ooh, talking. Oh I love talking music shit with you. Oh god, top five? What? <laughs> what are we <laughs> talking about? Best yeah, yeah. food restaurants. What do you think we're talking? Oh, you about? know, Harold's, 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 Harold's. What are you talking about? Best, I don't think Harold's can be fast food. It takes too long. That's that's is that's that... a fair argument. I get what you're saying. Anyway, let's stay on All topic. Right. <laughs> All right, top five rappers at the moment. Um, I'm putting Andre three thousand on there. Uh, which I've had lots of conversations. People say he doesn't have the body of work. I just feel like no one has mastered the art of writing a rhyme the way that Andre 3000 has. I think Kendrick Lamar already top five. I think his body of work is just incredible. And I think another person that any track I hear him on, he's able to uh, surprise. He's able to, to make like artistic leaps that I wouldn't have thought of. So Kendrick is up there for me. Um, Thing. This doesn't have to be like your definitive. You stand by it and guarantee it. Like, what do you feel? Oh like no, that? it's on wax. It's this on wax. This is, this is permanent. This is on record. These are the five rappers. Hey, if you've never listened to hip hop before, when you run for hip hop congress, they're gonna go back. To this. Like, <laughs> I could never run for hip hop congress. I just diss J Cole, Talib Kweli, and Nas. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I could That's never. That's the Mount Rushmore of hip hop congress. No, maybe not. Uh, Jay Z's up there for me. Yeah. I think Jay is an incredible rapper at his peak. Um, who else is up there for me? You know, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say Pharaoh Monch, and I'm gonna say Black Thought for me, are yeah on my five right now in this given moment. It's a good five. You want to go, Dame? Do I want to go? I'm gonna go. Are we going dead or alive? Yeah. All right. So Biggie, Kendrick, Jay Z, and then it gets hard. Cause then it's like objectively or what it meant to me, right? Yeah. Um, okay, let's not do best five. Let's do it could be your favorite five. I, I have to put Wayne in there for what Ooh, he did. Yeah. For what he did. Um, Lil Wayne is fantastic. And then I think I'm gonna go Eminem, actually. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I know. Right? That was the most the controversy. That was the most yeah. silent bomb drop of all time. <laughs> the like, controversy. In my mind, there was a. <laughs> 
I mean, I think he, man, his writing, and I think he was, the political satire he was doing for like the first three or four albums is actually really brilliant. It stands the test of time. When you look back at Eminem and you look back at like the Bush era and what he was doing mm, yeah. in terms of like pop culture and politics, and then the like, the, the just the technique of, of creating rhymes and, and rhythmic patterns, it, it's kind of unmatched. This is, that's so interesting. Yeah. How have we never talked about that before? I've told you Eminem is wrong. I mean, he's made a lot of terrible music. Yeah, yeah, but he's <laughs> he's made a lot of terrible music. <laughs> all right, I'll do all mine right, quick, Daniel. and then we can like actually talk about your life and all the things you do. Uh, sure. Jay, Big, Pharaoh, uh, No Name. Wow. And um, I'm just, I'm going to say Kanye. Oh word, yeah. yeah that, Kanye that, probably that was tough. Five. That was tough for me to to. to, to I should have actually. I'm gonna take him in him out. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna, gonna take. take him in, I'm gonna take Farrah out. I'm gonna put I'm Kanye. Kanye. So Kanye if you like this five. kind of BSing and shit talking, you should listen to the poetry. <laughs> this is what we do. This is what we really do. <laughs> well, on so the poetry like, you know, but but what I what I think y'all actually do in addition to all that is like, you you mentioned that part of the intention was to create like the space that was a communal like y'all getting together mm. and sharing your mm. thoughts and your feelings and and that sounds like cheesy, but it's a beautiful thing. Um, and what comes across so clearly and so beautifully in listening to y'all is how much y'all love each other, mm. um, which I think is not, uh, that's not a given. And it's it's pretty rare in media. You know, it's easier when you think about poetry or in different kinds of art, but it's pretty rare in media to actually hear people who like are just expressing their love for each other um, as friendship. Yeah. Uh, how long did it take y'all to feel comfortable in that way? And like what like what is it about the three of y'all that like you guys feel so comfortable with each other because that's not a given yeah yeah you know i think we had good chemistry from the start we had worked together on a on a few other projects mm. where it was just clear that we had a good conversational chemistry um the three of us were instructors at lincoln center's poet link program mm -hmm. and we would have meetings to generate curriculum that would devolve into us watching like stand-up <laughs> comedy. You know what I mean? Like we would go in with the serious intention to be like, how do we write about metaphor? Yeah. And it would end up with us. Our favorite video to watch is there's this video of Jamie Foxx completely obliterating uh, comedian Doug Williams. <laughs> Have you ever seen this? No. Yo, uh, audience, <laughs> I, I need you to I'm go. Gonna put it, I'm going to put it in post. Yeah, yeah. Go, go listen to Jamie Foxx just completely obliterate Doug Williams. Have you seen this, Damon? Yeah. I'm your conscience. Yeah, yeah, I'm your conscience. Maybe I should just shut them and go sit down. You know what I mean? I want to say this to Evan Smith, man. I'm your conscience. It is a pleasure. Man, it sure did get hot in here. Am I fucking up right now? I'm your conscience. I really don't need to be up here right now. I don't know what the fuck I was thinking. <laughs> it's fantastic. So, so we like would we had good chemistry in terms of like we we had similar senses of humor, and we ended up using that in the lesson plan about like comedy. We like played that clip for our kids, and then played uh, and then showed them "Daddy Dozens" by Jamila Woods. Mm -hmm. um, and so from from jump, we just got along. There was something about the chemistry of us that we brought out each other's like very deep sides as well as like our goofy silly sides where we were like there might be something here like what would happen if we like just hit record on some of these conversations yeah so over the first year plus of y'all doing this like 
how has whether it's the intention or the format or just like the way you feel about the relationships in on recording how has it changed how has it evolved like what feels different now um what feels different is honestly that when we first started recording them you know we didn't imagine that people would listen you know what i mean <laughs> like who cares? Yes, we do know what you mean. <laughs> we know exactly yeah, yeah, what yeah. you mean. Like, how, have y'all, has it changed for y'all doing this show? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do, think... do you censor yourselves at all? No. I don't Probably think censor so. myself less. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, yeah. I just get bolder. Actually, but it feels like the opposite for y'all. No, but it's something that I that I think about. You know what I mean? Like, like you know, when we first drew up like what the show was going to be, we were like, we're not going to be like the other poetry podcasts. The other poetry podcasts are are whack. You know what I mean? And now we can't really say that because the other poetry podcasts are listening to us. You know what I mean? And so if we said that, we'd have beef with other poets. Uh, so, you know, once again, I love all poetry podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> no shots. I think y'all are doing great work. I think beef it's different. Poetry podcasts. Yeah, yeah. Poetry <laughs> beef. You know what I mean? Um, and that's probably the only thing that's labor than R and B beef is, is <laughs> poetry beef. You know what I mean? Definitely don't want poetry beef. Oh man, I, I, it's interesting because I think there is a lot of overlap in what we do, and I like kind of like me us being in conversation like metaphorically as well mm. as literally. It's uh, like a crossover episode of a sitcom. But basically. we, yeah, but yeah. we also interview a lot of poets, not mm -hmm. solely poets. But yeah, by the way, Daniel, I heard that shot you took at poets in the Jasmine Sanders episode. <laughs> you said it was nice to have people who act, who could actually use full sentences. You know what I mean? I just want you to know, I peeped that. <laughs> see, I see you. Talk, I see talk, you. That's right. Streets are listening. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, poets got something to say. What's <laughs> good? <laughs> Rolling up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I burned that oh, moment. Wait, what were you saying? <laughs> but like we we we've both interviewed a lot of poets and not just about poetry. Yeah. Um and so with you like exclusively doing it, I'm really interested looking back on the show and like, man, we've done these however many episodes and how are they in conversation with each other? What are some of the like major themes you could take away from all these people? What are some of the things you've learned now? You've grown up with poets the last 10 years basically. Yeah. Uh but now you're like intentionally like almost doing journalism around it. Are you getting some things that you didn't think about as just a performer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I think about, um, and and again, parts of it are not, have nothing to do with poetry. Like parts of it, like I've learned about how to be a human being, you know what I mean? So I think about, there's one of the conversations that we've continued to have is about growing older. And, and John Sands brought in this poem by Lucille Clifton, um, which is about being 37 and letting go of all your past years and running and, and like running into year number 37. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, and so I think about, I, you know, and we had a similar conversation with Morgan Parker around that, you know, how, she, you know, she was talking about how she recreates herself every day and every day she gives herself the authority to be someone completely different than who she was the day before. And so I think about, being able to really step into myself and and that's something that 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 I've been thinking about a lot lately especially because of the podcast you know what I mean because people now will like like for real have stopped me in the street and been like yo are you poppy two times <laughs> never and you're like for yes, real yes, for real and it's just like a very like for a while it like kind of made me sad because I was like damn like I think I think when people meet me now, they're like disappointed. You know what I mean? Like, cause I just, I can't be that funny all the time. You know what I mean? Like I can't, I can't always be performing. Um, and so I think about like giving myself the, the authority to like 
be myself, whether that's poppy two times and I'm like, you know, doing whatever I do or that's, you know, you know, just allowing myself to be a, a full human being. So I think about that. Um, we've had a lot of conversations about love mm-hmm. um, and about what it means to to be in love. And I think about this actually wasn't on the show, but it's something that I think about a lot. Um, one of my one of my friends was talking about they've they've been in a long term relationship, like over five years at this point. And she she was like, it's not the the fact that it could never end that keeps us in love. It's the fact that it could end tomorrow. Like we are choosing any day, like my partner could walk away. And the fact that it's temporary, like it's it's fragile. Yeah, that it's fragile means that we continue to take care of it. And it means that we want to be here because if I wanted to be somewhere else, I could. I'm not like I'm not locked into anything by contract right. and if you think of any if you think of everything like a game like a relationship like a game or even like your life like like why would you ever want to play a game that doesn't end mm. like you need there needs to be the possibility of an end there to like make you value what mm. happens in the middle mm. um but you mentioned this feeling of uh making room for all of yourself and and, and i do hear this thing of like when you're on microphone it's a sen- in sense of performance but i do think y'all are pretty like open and vulnerable and like look to each other also to like yeah. embolden yourselves to make statements or to be vulnerable or to say things that are pretty uh open yeah um are there other spaces like like, like let's say kind of over your evolution it doesn't have to be now but like whether it was spaces here in chicago or just at other points in your life where you've felt kind of free to start exploring that way because i've been thinking a lot I'm gonna talk for. Yeah, a little go too ahead. Long. Sounds like you have something on your mind. <laughs> okay, so what's on your mind, yeah, Daniel? <laughs> Man, that felt really good. What's yeah. yeah, but basically, I've been thinking about like where we can be open and what does it take to actually be open and be mm. vulnerable. Um, and especially like uh, when we think about our past, think about being like uh, younger, being teens or whatever, uh, where a lot of these like artistic and uh, community spaces where we first found our ways into them. And I know for you, YCA being one of those places, mm-hmm. like it gives you a community, but it also gives you a space to like explore yourself. Um, so I'm curious for you, like where that process took place and where it takes place now. Yeah. You know, I think when I was younger, um, a lot of that happened sort of, uh, in conversation with myself. I think that mm-hmm. I, I spent a lot of time when I was very young, um, kind of in my own head. Um, and so poetry allowed me to get some of those thoughts out onto paper and to start sharing them with people. Um, but I, I guess the first most important place for me was poetry slam practice. Um, we would practice, so we officially practiced like two hours a week, you know, twice a week or something mm-hmm. like that. But we got together every day and we would sit in our school's auditorium from like 3 p.m. until 8 p.m. when the janitor was like, yo, this is the last room I'm cleaning and y'all need to leave. Uh, and during the course of that time, we hardly ever wrote poems. We we actually wrote very little, but we spent a lot of time having conversations about religion, right? We spent a lot of time having conversations about race and having conversations about our school. You know, I went to TF North High School in Calumet City, Illinois, a public high school that while I was there was 
in the midst of a lot of turnover. You know what I mean? A lot of the old staff who had taught people's parents, they were retiring. And the new staff that we were getting were like Teach for America teachers, were Mm -hmm. teachers of color for the first time in the school's history. Mm -hmm. The school was going from a school that had been primarily white for much of its history to now serving predominantly black and Latino students, Latinx students. Um, And so we would talk about what that meant. And we would talk like I was in honors classes and I, you know, you didn't have to look very hard to see that honors classes were like the last stronghold of white students in the school. They were all in honors classes. Um, and why was that? And how come, you know, the majority of our classmates of color were were sitting in, you know, so-called regular classes or whatever. And so we would have these conversations. And that's when I started to develop a sense of myself in, in, in co- not just as myself, but in conversation with with the community I was in with other people, with the world. Yeah. Yeah. And then, well, just to get it on, on, on wax, as you said, what was the entry point, like coming up to YCA and finding your way into that? Yeah. So, you know, starting to write poems, I still felt very odd. You know what I mean? I was like, <laughs> I mean, I was already nerdy. You know, I was yeah. already spending a lot of time reading, but now here I go writing poems about my feelings. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> That's not a very masculine thing to do. And at the time, I think in, that I was... In the high school definition of masculine. Right, 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 right. And I, I think that in that time period, I was still very invested in a very sort of patriarchal, sort of traditional type of, of masculinity. And so I was already kind of feel, kind of feeling some type of way about writing poems in general. Mm. Um, and then going, getting a chance to go to Louder Than a Bomb with, you know, 400. At the time, there were 40 schools participating um, 400, 500 young people who all wrote poems who were, you know, for the most part, uh, unabashed in their love of poetry and their love of of so many things. So, like, I had a really narrow understanding of myself. You know what I mean? There was mm-hmm. a, a time period where, for real, my uniform was like size 3X t-shirts. And, you know what I mean? I could have, I would have been like, yo, you'll never catch me wearing a button down in my life. You know what I mean? <laughs> or a 1X. Or a 1X. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, about a collar. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm not even going down to large. Yeah. 1X yeah. is definitely the, the, actually I did, did you do the two shirts? Did you ever like coordinate? Were you I did. Like white I on did. black or red I on blue? Yeah, yeah. There was there was some when I felt like really jiggy, I would wear long sleeve white t shirts. Yeah. Oh man. Underneath like a, a super big like yeah. black t shirt or yeah, something. Yeah, black t shirt or something. Um I'm sorry, I felt that was important detail. No, no, I appreciate it. I think style is very important. Um But this kind of like not restrictive, but kind of less filled out understanding of who you were is what you're saying yeah i had a i had like a restricted sense of imagination i could only see myself becoming so many things Mm. and then when i went to louder than a bomb and i saw that i was allowed to enjoy both my talib qualis and you know at the time that i was in louder than a bomb it was like Lil john and 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 crunk music was at its apex like you could you were allowed to be like very conscious and you were allowed to dance and And you you were allowed stop if you wanted to you could eight town stomp you know what I mean? Shout out to Usher. Uh, you were allowed to, you know what I mean? And I, that was when I first started to consider that I didn't have to put all these barriers in my identity, that I that I, I could wear a t-shirt, like a, a collared t-shirt and still be hip hop and still be myself yeah. and still be cool. You know what I mean? And it was it was through hip hop. It was through poetry in the community that Louder Than a Bomb created that I was able to to see myself in, in ways that I hadn't before thought about. Yeah, I mean, we spend just by nature of the show and then also because so many of the folks we talk to come out of 
like those pivotal moments being when they're 16, 17, finding their way into those kinds of rooms. We talk a lot about that age, but I think we don't always make space to talk about like, I don't know, like the the kind of like uncertainty or loneliness or fear of being 16. Mm. And I, I know at least it was for me. And I think that that's pretty shared. Um, like for you, let's say like you talk about how amazing having that like communal feel was um, and, and how that pushed you more into writing as well and kind of enabled that. Mm -hmm. um, but whether it was like pushing you to writing or not, like, you know, you stayed very far from where all that stuff was at. Like, did you feel isolated, not just geographically, but culturally? Did you feel alone and stuff like that? Is that something you've been working through in your writing? Yeah, you know, um, I think that I felt that when I was 16 or 17, I actually didn't feel a ton of isolation mm -hmm. because of Louder Than a Bomb and because I felt so connected and it was so urgent. Like I felt, I mean, you know, I've and I've heard guests on your show and, and throughout the city talk about like this Chicago renaissance that's mm -hmm. happening. I felt that way when I was like 16 or 17. <laughs> I went to Louder Than a Bomb once and I was like, yo, like there's something happening <laughs> yeah, here. Yeah. And I like feel that I like had, you know, and y'all are going to think that I'm, you know, absurd, but I would I would think about like, yo, 30 years from now, someone's going to ask me about the first time I met Jamila Woods. Right. You know what I mean? Like, like I, I knew someone was going to be interviewing me and asking me about those moments. And I was 16. I just mm. and so I, I didn't necessarily feel alone or isolated then. But I definitely felt that when I went to college, when yeah. I went uh, to Harvard University. Yeah, I was that was really about to be my next question, because I go ahead. Yeah, ask. like. One of the first times I met you, we was hanging out, and I think like Nate made a joke about like, yeah, Harvard or something. I'm like, are you serious? You went to Harvard, and you were like, it was almost like a a, sh a shame or a disgust <laughs> about going. I'm like, I wanted to know so many questions, but it was like, it yeah. seems like you get this all the time, so I don't want to yeah, like deeply. go too deep. But but yeah, it seemed like that was more of the moment where that isolation they asking about or some of those like more introspective like things were, were taking place. Talk about like. We talk about a lot about like non-traditional versus traditional academic spaces. Mm -hmm. And you went to like the, the tradition of tradition, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah for so, sure. As we are in the University of Chicago right now, but still, like, yeah. like what was that time like for you? Yeah. So, the very my very first memory of going to Harvard. Now, mind you, I'm I'm 18 years old. Everyone else's parents is moving them into the university. My parents, like, I have two suitcases to my name and a backpack, and they put me on a plane, and I, like, took the train, like, public transportation into the university. I don't have... There's no one from my school there. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I, I know no one there. Uh, I get there, and I go to my room where I'm living in, and the first thing they tell me is that Al Gore used to live in that same room, <laughs> and Tommy Lee Jones used to live in that room. Who knew Tommy Lee Jones went to Harvard? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't know. You're among the hallowed greats, yeah. Al Gore and Tommy Lee Jones. Hey, Tommy Lee Jones actually is a legend. I, I, shout out Tommy Lee Jones. Uh, and so I go into my room, and my roommates are there. I have two roommates, and they're there with their parents and their families. And my one roommate, who's from Scarsdale, New York, you know, which Daniel will know a little bit about. Um, For the record, I'm not from Scarsdale. I right. That's very clear. <laughs> but, but that's it's, upstate. It's, yeah, it's like Westchester, super, like crazy money. Crazy um, money, yeah. yeah. Um, 
and his his dad is he's like telling my other roommate he's like yo are you sure you don't want to come to the Boston Red Sox game like I have this extra ticket it's right behind on plate and it's just gonna go to waste and I'm sitting there like yo I like baseball <laughs> like it never it's never a question of like inviting me you know wow. what I mean uh that night, you know, I go and meet up with the one person I know on campus who I had met during like the recruitment weekend or whatever. Um, and we're walking around campus, talking, catching up. And we run into someone that he had met during an orientation program. And he's a little drunk and we're talking and he says, you know, poor people don't work hard. Mm. It's like, that's that's why they're poor. They don't work hard. If they worked harder, they wouldn't be poor. This is just day one. This is day one, <laughs> night one. You know, these are like my first memories. The first, and this I'm just standing orient- there. Orientation for real. Yeah, and I'm just standing there and I'm like, yo, do I not exist? Yeah. Uh, and and so and so I'm sitting there. Also, I'm, I'm there in like the book that I finished on the plane ride to the university is the autobiography of Malcolm X. You know what I mean? So I'm <laughs> also... You and you're like Boston. All there's all the Boston context. Right, right. So, of yeah. course. Yeah, yeah, a lot of that book takes place in Boston as well. Um, and so I'm... my So my head is already like kind of spinning because I'm thinking about the the way that he's... You know, his, his, his speeches and what he's talking about. And I'm thinking about... Again, thinking about where I'm from. And at that's... You know, and still to this day, very invested in Chicago and spend a lot of time thinking about... Uh, Chicago and the surrounding suburbs. Um, And I'm in this new place and suddenly I'm experiencing all these things. And I had, you know, all all of a sudden I realized that my whole life, like, I thought I knew what wealth was and I thought I knew what money was and I thought I knew what power was and I had no idea. You know what I mean? Uh, You know, back then money was like, if you could afford to get the new video game console when it came out, I was like, yo, you're rich. You know what I mean? And now like the... You know, the the kid who was going to inherit Goldman Sachs right. investment fund was like literally he lived on the third floor of my building. Right. You know what well, I mean? Wealth like, is taking a class in a building named for your family. Or something like that, you know. And so and so uh I just I, I immediately felt felt very I, I felt very isolated and felt very lonely and, and the university had had nothing to offer me. I talked to, you know, the person who was like our our RA at the time, and she was like, "Well, you could go talk to a professor, but I don't know what to tell you." Um, you know, it's some something that someone said. I was talking to Jasmine Sanders yesterday, and she was like, "You know, diversity programs are really for the benefit of white students at the mm-hmm. institution." Mm-hmm. And and when she said that, I had never considered, it, but I, it was absolutely true. Like I was somebody's science experiment. Other, you know, the university wanted the white students there to see what it was like to interact with like a young and they even like pitch it that way they're even like this is for the betterment of yeah the kids involved they'll have a more nuanced understanding of the world as a yeah yeah harvard university was whack my response (laughs) to that was to begin organizing i don't know if y'all know this but like my freshman year of college i ended up going on a 10-day hunger strike nah yeah what were you striking against what yeah yeah i I fell into organizing with uh, the Student Labor Action Movement, which right now is again in full force because the dining services workers at Harvard are striking. Mm. Um, and so at the time, we were organizing with the security guards who were getting mm. paid less than you know all the other security guards at comparable universities. And Harvard was claiming that they didn't have any responsibility in it because they had uh, outsourced those contracts. They were technically... <laughs> 
allied Barton employees. And so Harvard was like, look, if we could, we would give them a fair contract, but they, they don't work for us. They work for allied Barton. Go talk to allied Barton. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, just like the only people for real, the only people that like checked in with me that whole freshman year, uh, the only people that like felt like they really were invested in whether or not I made it from one day to the next were the, were the people who, who were service workers on campus. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like the dude who would come through and like clean up the hallway. I would talk to him and he'd check in with me and he'd be like, you know, my, my son is named Jose and da 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 da. And so for me it was it was like these people have my back. Like I, you know, I'm like I, I know who I know who really loves me at this university. You know what I mean? And so uh and so it got to a point where we had done everything we could. We signed petitions. We had over, you know, like 5,000 signatures from alumni and students petitioning Harvard to get involved and like make Allied Barton pay a fair wage. Um, You know, we had done sit-ins and Mm teach-ins and done all this stuff and the university was not budging. So we decided that the only way the university would actually act is if we found a way to protest with more force, right? And so we decided... Uh, ten of us decided to go on hunger strike, and so uh, it ended up lasting ten days. And at the conclusion of which, uh, security guards ended up getting a living wage and a and a fair contract. Wow. Um, but that was that was my freshman year. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was nineteen exactly. when this happened. Um, it's not keggers and frisbee. That's a different <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it establishes like I don't know. I'm thinking about you know. I know you. I I got to know you after the fact, after all that. And, and, you know, you were talking about what Morgan said about like each day, uh, giving yourself permission to like be a new person and all that. Mm-hmm. But I also do think like, uh, I can't remember who said it, but it was like, when you turn 11, you also turn 10 and nine. That was Sandra Cisneros. Thank you very much. Yeah, House on Mango Street. Um, so I'm thinking about like when we met, you were saying, and I've heard you say it a few times, like, uh, the desire in your craft to write love poems and like how much harder it is or how much more of a yeah. beautiful challenge it is to yeah. you to write about love. Um, where, <laughs> where does that come from? And like, how does that, how do you get from like, I find my meaning and my community in like direct action and the love that comes through that mm-hmm. um, to like trying to figure out how to capture love on a page? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I do like love poems a lot. Um, you know, I think part of part of the move towards love poems, which, you know, I also don't know that I'm at this point, I, you know, I might have moved away from that at this mm-hmm. point even. But I think part of the move towards love poems was like, you know, I think for a long time I was hoping that I could find my salvation in, in something outside of myself. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Whether it was like organizing with workers as a you know to to avoid like the deep loneliness and isolation that I felt when I wasn't organizing you know what I mean um or whether it was uh you know trying to like write write bars so that you know in accomplishment or getting straight A's so that in accomplishment I could like turn away from whatever I was feeling inside or feel at the very least whole, because like, look, here's all the ways in which I'm excelling, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think the turn towards love poems for me was a, a way to start to really grapple with my own, with the ways that I didn't love with, that I didn't love myself, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. To think about what it meant to love myself as a practice. And and I think that's something that 
that I'm still grappling with. Like I really, I used to hate when people talked about self love because I was like, it one, it sounded corny. Like you know what I mean? Yeah, it sounded like an some, India Ari yeah, song or, some or something. Oprah, yeah, some yeah, some you know conference you got to go to. Yeah, with like the earpiece type joint. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so one, it sounded corny, and then two, like I never really like. Of course, I love myself. You know what I mean? But I never really understood what it meant to practice that. And so I think that's something that I'm still mm. thinking about. And, and you know, like where I'm at right now, it's like taking care of myself. So making sure that I eat and that I'm like taking showers every day and, and, and that I'm like just on the very basics, like good. And then, and then hopefully uh, that creates an atmosphere where, where I can love myself, you know, because if like my basics aren't taken care of, then it's like very hard to like feel good about myself if I like didn't brush my teeth that morning. You know what I'm saying? I do. absolutely know what you're saying. Like, and I think that's something, I think that's something like generational. I think there are like, there are such big problems in the world that like we are all looking externally. And, and the more I talk to people and the more I take inventory of like my own life, right? Like yeah. the very basic, like just taking care of myself. Like, did I eat or did I eat something that won't kill me? Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, and like sleeping and and eating fruit and it's like, I don't know. I'm not even like making a sentence out of it because I'm I'm like failing at it. No, but I, like feel day -day I feel you. Thing, but I'm trying to figure out how to like get rid of the police and or right, you know, people's wages or like you know right. people actually dying in the city. Yeah, like, every day and and it's just a, a hard because we're at a place now with like such techno technological advances. We can learn mm -hmm. so much. We can like accomplish so much. But like human backwardness and like political backwardness and like I think it's like creating this turmoil in us all. Mm -hmm. And I think I admire you being able to like kind of write about that simplicity of, mm -hmm. of that like existential crisis that I think is like becoming more and more prevalent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think they all work together, right? So this is just how I think about it, uh, is that it basically you're doing, it's all the work, and I've said this to you before, I've said it, I say it all the time, like it's all the work and it's happening kind of on three levels. It's happening internally, it's happening communally and then it's happening like in facing the big stuff in the world mm. and you can't model like if you can't model what you want the big stuff in the world to look like until you do it communally and you can't model it communally until you do it to yourself so like you basically you can't love the only model for how to love someone else is the that you have is the way you love yourself and so unless you can get to that point where that's feeling like thoughtful and full and open how could you expect yourself to do that in relation to someone else? Are, are you finding ways to, now that you're like able to explore, but are you finding ways to structure that, that love or those practices, right? Like, do you, are you learning how to do that better? I yeah. Think we could uh, use lessons, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, no, not really. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I, this is something else that I'm learning, right? Is like, I think for me for a long time, because, I was such a high achiever, like as a young person, I was always looking for that like final mark to let me know I was good, I was right. Yeah. And, I, and I just think that life isn't really like that, you know? Mm -hmm. And so yeah. and so I have things that I'm doing now that I, I think are working for me, but I, I like have no idea to know that if they'll work for anyone else or <laughs> or if they'll even be the same for me, you know, two weeks from now. Like I was saying, right? Like for I spent like a year talking about love poems and I have a bunch of love poems, but I don't know that I'm 
thinking about love poems right now. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I, I, I think that I'm, I might be moving towards something else. Um, and don't ask me what that is because <laughs> I don't <laughs> know was, exactly. That was the natural follow-up. I know, I know. <laughs> you don't have to answer it if you don't want to. You know, I'm, I'm still thinking about it. But, um, but yeah, so I mean, in terms of like what I'm doing now that's working for me now, like I make sure that I eat a healthy breakfast. Oh man! Just like from from jump. Congratulations! That's what I, do. <laughs> I usually don't eat before like three p.m. Really? Like ever? Man, it's not a choice. It's just it's just the way it works. Listeners, we're gonna hold Damon accountable. Every morning at eight thirty, tweet at him. Damon, what's hashtag? What's your breakfast? Day? Yeah, what's for breakfast? Just, just, just sharp turn. Did did you hoop growing up? I did. I you know I I grew up. Um, so so I grew up with basketball for two reasons. One, because I grew up, you know, in the Chicagoland area during the 90s yeah. and I watched all those games and I was the biggest Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen fan. But then two, because uh, one of the only places that I that I felt real intimacy with my dad was when we were watching games together. And mm-hmm. so that became like the most important time for me because it was like you know, where we had intimate conversations was like, did you watch last night's game? Did you read the newspaper article? That's what we talked about. And that's like what our relationship in part was founded on. You know what I'm that's saying? So, so some of it is like the the, the, the spectatorship of the, of the sport. Mm-hmm. I'll just ask, because like, for those who don't know, you've read, how many poems would you say you think you've read about basketball? Oh, too many. Too many <laughs> poems featured yeah, basketball. Like, you're like the greatest basketball poet of all time. I think, <laughs> I think you might be able to claim I don't, that. I don't know if I Do can Do you have competition? That. I, I feel are, like are I must. Basketball poets? I feel like I'm, I must. You know, um, yeah. Except for like LTAP poets. Who I'm like, definitely <laughs> also even yeah, even more importantly, I'm definitely not the best basketball player among poets. For sure, and, that, that and that's and that's kind of what I want to ask about because there's somebody who like <laughs> I, like right now, but like did not at all. It was like super basketball. For I'm really interested in people who have love for the game who like weren't at tournaments every weekend. And yeah. Like, I had it. I just, it's just curious, but who would you say is the best basketball playing poet? And I'm at the neck as soon as, as soon yeah, as the best, best basketball playing poet, you know, and, and I don't have, I've never seen them play, but I've heard <laughs> <Jack>. stories. <laughs> right. It's Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant had that book of poems. He wrote, he wrote his retirement letter. Yeah, was it was a poem. A- yeah, yeah. Kobe Bryant. <laughs> uh, no, there's a poet named Kyle Dargan uh, who who plays and like will often tweet about like hitting game winning 15 foot jump shots. Okay. Uh, so it might be him. Terrence Hayes plays. I think I think Ross Gay played like college ball for a little bit. I love the idea of organizing like a tournament where people come in from all over the country. It's like it's like a ret- like a poet retreat. Kind of thing, but it's just like a three-on-three tournament. Yeah, love <laughs> it. Kind of cool. <laughs> I'm down. You mentioned we're running a little out of time, but I want to just jump back to something you just said. Um, as we're like, you know, getting into the the growth stuff and how that reflects and how we like how you're feeling about yourself. You mentioned mm-hmm. like basketball and watching that being a space uh, that you and your dad connected there. Mm-hmm. Um, as you've like learned to be intentional in these different ways about like what makes you feel good and what creates like open real. And, and more in-depth connection like has that evolved like where you don't i'm not saying like what do you, what's your deal with your dad now but like um and you again as much or as little as you want to answer on this but uh like where let's say in that relationship or in others are there like relationships that you've managed to like expand the scope of what they can be in a way that feels good 
I'm literally, this is the hour where I ask the things that I'm thinking about in relationship to my own friends and family is basically what happened. Word. I mean, that's the thing that I also find with like doing a podcast is like, I really ask questions that I'm trying to ask of myself. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like that's all I do. It's just like, so how did you get so good at this? <laughs> the yeah. listeners want to know. Right. The listeners want to know. Yeah, I'm yeah. listening. Yeah, true. Um, you know, my dad and I, I don't think my dad has spoken a word to me in maybe a year or two. And it's, there's not like any malicious intent behind that. Like, you know, it's not because my dad hates me or there's, you know, we got into a falling out. It just, you know, I, that's something I, I think about a lot. And I, and I have a bunch of poems about my dad. Yeah. Um, and it's why I ask is because they're some of the most like um, reflective and open and like they contradict themselves at times. And it just yeah. if they feel honest in a way that folks don't always get to in their career. Yeah. Um, yeah. So our, our relationship is okay in that it's not completely broken, but mm -hmm. it's definitely something I think about and I want to know more about my, my family in general, you know. There was a time when I was like, oh, it's only been like two years since I've been to Mexico. And now it's been 12 years, you mm -hmm. know. Uh, and so I think about, you know, I still have grandparents there. And I think about what their stories are. And, and the older I get, the, the older they get. And I think about, you know, just how much I want to know about where I come from and how little I know. Um, mm -hmm. So that's that's something that that is that is heavy on my mind and gets more pressing every day yeah. um an example of a relationship you know that that i feel like has expanded um you know for a long time i didn't say i love you to men you know because mm -hmm. of my own latent homophobia um and so i think about like and I think I've I've like jokingly said this, but I think like my best relationship with anyone is with Nate Marshall. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, you know, it was his birthday this past week and I told him I loved him. And so I think about how easy and freeing it is to like be in relationship with Nate. You know, that's something that I've learned and grown from a ton. You know what yeah. I'm saying? I, I, I wanted to ask earlier before we even got to this. How, shout out to your brother. How's your brother doing, man? He's a cool, <laughs> cool dude. <laughs> my brother's the best. Uh, my brother is a student at uh, Western Illinois University. He's getting his master's in... He's about uh, to be middle class. He's about to be middle class. You saw that? <laughs> <laughs> my brother is also the funniest person I know. But he's a... He's a Give the man a podcast. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, for real. I like... I need to do that. I actually do a series oh. of interviews with my brother. My brother and I, every time I go home, we record a podcast and it's always terrible, but it's always the most fun thing in the world. I have like four different podcasts that we've done <laughs> on my laptop that no one will ever hear. Real quick. So uh, my brother is a computer science. He's getting his master's in computer science and, and he's getting close to finishing up. So he's been getting these recruitment emails. So he sent me a text about like how middle class he was fit to be. <laughs> it's the funniest thing. You can find it on my social media. What's, your, you uh, what's your social media? Uh, my social media is at J-A-Y-O-H-E-S-S-E-E. -E -E. Basically, I spelled the letters of my name phonetically, right? So the letter J is spelled J-A-Y. The letter O is O-H. The letter... 
S is E S S. The letter E is E E. Uh, I did it when I was like 18 years old. You stick with it, and that's, I stuck. I stuck <laughs> with my with my first social media handle. Oh my goodness! Well, for better or for worse, you stick with it. Before we get out of here, we keep forgetting to ask people to do a poem at the end. Yes. Um, and I know y'all do that on your podcast too. Yeah. Um. I mean, not that I'm taking any credit for that being a thing that y'all do or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> but do you, you, do you, you have a piece you want to do before we get out of here? I do. Um, I need a second to pull it up. Is that cool? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, we didn't even get into all this. You mentioned Urban Word real quick. You're the program director there in New York. Uh, Jose's doing all kinds of great words, poetry is all over uh, the internet and in the Breakbeat book and in all these different places. And, uh, you know, definitely look and read and share and uh, you know share this podcast and the poetry gods with three friends each that's like my new call to action nice yeah i don't think it's gonna come up all right um thank you for being so frank with us and like open and sharing yeah, oh, yeah. also can i yeah. can i first yeah, of all I'm, I'm a big fan of the podcast so i'm oh, really man, excited to be here but also damon like yo you know i really I can't tell you how much I've learned just like in following you on Twitter. You know what I mean? Like oh, wow. just the other day, what you posted about the generation before us and yeah, how they, yeah. their relationship with young people and how they use words, um, you know, like don't be like that person or, or whatever. Like, you know, I, th- I think about that all the time, you yeah. know what I mean? And in, in my work with young people and how am I welcoming them to the space and, and, yeah, so yeah, I just wanted to say thank you and I appreciate you. Thank you. Yeah, man. I look up to you. So that so that, that means a lot, man. man. Do y'all remember love. the first time that y'all met real quick before we get out of here? I do. I do. I, I felt super awkward because like I was like, I came into the y- YC at like a really weird age. I was 19. Right. Uh-huh. So like everybody already known each other for like five years. I'm kind of like, this is like the time when people start phasing out. I was kind of like entering in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we went to, uh, what's that? Sp- some spot under the blue line. I forgot what it's called. The Blue Line? Yeah, over by YCA. It was after Wordplay. Right, right. Day. We was, it was Nate, uh, Britt, me, and my, my sister. And like that was when, you, when I learned you were from Harvard. And I was like, what to ask questions? I was like super zealous. <laughs> and you were like not feeling that shit. So I thought I was like, all right. Listen, please For like a year, free. I thought you didn't like me, actually. Really? Yeah. Wow. Not like actively didn't like me, but like just wasn't that fun. Like, yeah. That's... You know, I've I've heard that from some people. I you know I think that's then I, that's what I figured out. That's like it's not it has nothing to do. With it. <laughs> not me. We just got we just it, don't know each other. Yet. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, I I think that's something that I've gotten better at since leaving Chicago. Actually, I think in Chicago I could get away with like kind of being impersonable as like a norm mm-hmm. <laughs> because I, you know I knew because you already everyone. have friends. Yeah, yeah. 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 But in New York, I had to like learn to be like more personable. So I think New York has been good for me in that way to be like more intentionally kind. Mm, yeah, stand up. The Bronx. That's the first time that anyone's ever said that the Bronx makes you nicer. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Hey, New York is a different place than what what people remember. I think that's very true. Back from when I grew up in the late seventies, <laughs> <laughs> the Luke Cage, New York City. <laughs> Thank you so much for being Man, here. Much love. It's such you. a pleasure, and uh, we'll be back next week with another strong young voice from Chicago and hey, beyond. Hey. Escobar season has returned. Has returned. Been a long time. Been a long time coming. It's life or death for me, man. But you know, there's no turning back now. This is what makes me. This is what I am. People hate me now. Kill me, but I won't stop now. Real niggas, I can't stop now. Brave.
do it now. Do it now. Do it now. Don't hate me. Hate the money I see. Clothes that I buy. Ice that I wear. Clothes that I try. Close your eyes. Picture me rolling. Sixes. Money falling. Bitches. Honeys that swollen. The riches. Knives get in ya. Most critically acclaimed. Pulitzer. Prize winner. Best storyteller. Thug narrator. My style's greater. Model data. Big threat to a lot of you haters. Commentators. Ringside. Try watching my paper. Almost a decade.